Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. Where to source and how to source smarter is top of mind for the entire apparel industry right now. With the speed of change and so many competing demands, it could be challenging to weigh the options. Today, we're joined by Saskia Hedrick and Carl Hendrick Magnus of McKinsey, apparel experts for McKinsey and Company. In their roles, they have been examining the business, economic and political trends that are impacting the fashion industry from supply chain through retail and helping to create a framework for executives looking for insights and solutions. In this podcast series, we'll discuss a range of topics related to their work in recent reports. Plus, McKinsey will be hosting a panel on sustainable sourcing on October 17th at our Sourcing Summit in New York. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. So, Hendrik, I want to start off uh, with a question for you. In your report, is apparel manufacturing coming home? You talk about this perfect storm, quote unquote, of factors that change a sourcing model of the future. What do you mean? Well, when we use the word perfect storm, it's, it's, it's trying to explain why we felt um, that sourcing is in some way getting back on the CEO agenda. And we, kind of, we try to describe why that is the case uh, from, from being a, a very functional, um, highly cost-oriented, efficiency-oriented topic to a much more disruptive uh, theme that is redefining the competitive landscape in, in the apparel industry. And we believe there is a perfect storm, which is, is compiled of, of the fact that the, the past quest for ever-increasing cost advantages um, leading to a sourcing caravan that was moving from one, one country to the next to look after the next watering hole for efficiency increases is, is somewhat coming to an end, given labor costs and effective cost increases. On the other hand, of course, um, you know the the equilibrium, uh, equilibrium is changing to speed becoming the real currency, and uh, the need for speed being defined by the digital natives, the online players in the industry, and hence most of our executives are are replacing efficiency with with speed and reactivity in their in their strategic sourcing dialogues, and and that is underpinned by. Um, a, a completely new set of uh, opportunities through automation and, and probably mass automation um, that is making production in near and onshore, even on, onshore locations, much more um, viable in the future. And lastly, uh, there is a, a, a real shift towards sustainability becoming a consumer uh, relevant uh, theme we believe in our research shows that over the next couple of years we're going to see this uh, as a as a defining theme from the from the consumer demand side so all these things together uh, changes in the sourcing landscape changes opportunities in automation the need for speed the quest for sustainability is what what we call the perfect storm why it's really becoming a CEO topic so Saskia I kind of want to pick up a little bit on uh, off of what Hendrick said if Asia isn't the only answer anymore. You know, what does this mean for sourcing? And, you know, he brought up reshoring. Is this really a possibility? Are we really going to see a resurgence back home? I think, Eddie, what we have to think about first is that it's not dualistic. It's not like it's low-cost countries and it's 
reshoring or it's low cost country and nearshoring. But what we are looking at in the future is a multimodal sourcing strategy. So we're really on a far more granular level than today. Decisions are made for individual products where and how to source them. So making the right country decision, but also thinking far more about dual sourcing strategy. So I think that's very important to think about first when discussing near or reshoring. On the other hand, um, yes, um, their nearshoring becomes more realistic because uh, the labor cost divide between, uh, for example, China and uh, and nearshore locations is uh, getting smaller and smaller. At the same time, um, you can't just look at costs like Hendrik described in this environment today. You actually need to look at the product margin. So it's not about what's the lowest um, landed cost price and, and uh, that might be totally ir irrelevant when you are then faced with high markdowns and um, low sales rules and overstocks, which you just can't manage anymore. So therefore, uh, thinking about this importance of speed and flexibility, which nearshore supports, is uh, gaining so much importance. I agree with you. It's not one or the other. It's not Asia or nearshoring. But but what about some other countries? You know, what about a Mexico or what about a Turkey? You know, versus in Asia. You know, what are what are some of the factors to consider when moving there? Yeah. So obviously, as as uh, people working in sourcing, we do start with the cost. Yeah. So it's not that we say we we want to neglect that. But even when you look from a landed cost perspective, so uh, you know, in terms of labor cost and and duties. Uh, for example, when you would look for, from a U.S. Uh, perspective, uh, nearshoring to Mexico, Mexico would become 12% uh, more attractive compared to China. Um, on, in addition to the cost, um, we look at the timelines for transportation, which uh, add to the flexibility. So... Um, Instead of looking at 30 days or more sea freight, which just add to your lead time, um, looking at the also more sustainable opportunities in terms of um, train or, or trucks um, gives you a speed advantage on top. And then, and, and just maybe building on that, we always try to then take a, a holistic perspective. So if you, if you, on the one hand, just calculate what is the impact on cost and on margin if I consider a production move to, to Mexico. And on the other hand, it's then the question, how realistic and how feasible is this actually? And uh, what we're seeing these days is while the, the economical calculations very cl clearly and quickly tend to favor um, investments into nearshoring and partially even in, the, in, in a more longer term uh, into onshoring, the, the readiness and, and ability of these countries to take these um, vo volumes on at scale and at quality is, is what's currently uh, the biggest, biggest headache for the industry. But Hendrik, are, are, are nearshoring markets ready to take on increased production? You know, what, what will it take for them to really increase their capacity? And the, the, that's where I was hinting a bit. The, 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 the probably simplistic answer is no, they're not ready. And looking under, under that a bit, of course, if you stay with Europe as an example, in, in upper mass premium, in luxury, 
uh, kind of, it's not a question whether they're ready. All, all of that um, uh, CMT production and tier one, tier two production is, is, is historically based in, in uh, European countries and is therefore very much ready. But if we then go down the, uh, the market into more fast fashion value segments, um, then the markets are usually not ready. There is a, staying with the example of Europe, there is a viable denim cluster in, in, in Turkey. But uh, if you go beyond that for any cotton or any other, other pieces, the, the, neither the capacities nor especially the capabilities are there. When we talked about Mexico, a lot of our uh, US-based uh, clients have, have somewhat um, uh, challenging experiences with the real capability levels of production um, in place in Mexico today. And hence, we're a bit disappointed by some larger scale pilots that they had uh, had trialed or are still struggling to scale them up. And so to your question, what will it take to change that is, um, is on the one hand, and with uh, a, a cluster-based approach. So when asking our, our CPOs in our survey that we run every year, uh, 80% of all CPOs believe it will only work with real um, re-emergence of large-scale uh, value mid-market-oriented clusters in nearshore markets, clusters being fabric, yarn producers, as well as CMT producers. Um, but then again, when, when the question is, who will, who will invest in those clusters? Who will really make those capabilities come alive? The, the answer is not that clear. And 50% of those CPOs believe that the big apparel brands of this world will actually need to take a step in and invest themselves, while the other 50% believe this is, is uh, either the money has to come either from the, the suppliers or from the government. It's not their job uh, to, to start financing, reshoring or nearshoring of, uh, of capabilities. So in honesty, I think that that question is not solved, and it will take a very coordinated uh, effort that uh, is not yet happening. Uh, to to make that happen. Perhaps uh, let me let me quickly just expand a little bit on the coordinated effort, because this is really we talk multi-stakeholder. So even not just uh, different industry partners, but obviously also in terms of capability building or um, also governments and enabling really of building in in this infrastructure. One important aspect, if we look at um, partnerships, is that also from a broader efficiency perspective and sustain and to drive sustainability, the trend we see and what really sourcing executives anyway strive for is for a more partnership-based approach. Even so, at the moment, this doesn't necessarily yet play into joint investments, but we definitely do observe a trend where, where um, sourcing executives, the buyer, buying side and the supply side will be working much more closely together and part of the effect you then see in the market is that actually the number of, of suppliers one uh, company is working with will be reducing um, over the coming years when we talk about investments you know where will these funds come from you know how can the apparel industry make itself more attractive to entities like you know private equity firms uh, i think that's and the, 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 the piece in that is, is a bit, bit linked to what Oscar said. It, it needs those partnership efforts and it needs a coordinated effort. We do see some smaller scale um, uh, venture capital-like approaches where large apparel brands and smaller automation 
um, providers are investing in a VC type of approach into new technologies. It's it's not that much um, talked about, and a lot of that is happening uh, within the 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 kind of behind closed walls of of some of those those brands. But some of that is happening. Yet the uh, the kind of the, to make that broadly attractive, the the we're still early stage in the in in the curve of nearshoring and and at scale automation in the apparel industry. Hence, the uncertainties and risks are still very high. Hence, I use that word venture capital. It's it's currently more of a venture capital market than a private equity market, to be be honest. Hence, it's either captive uh, investments from the major uh, suppliers, MAS, Leon Fong, et cetera, of this world, or it is the big brands investing themselves. It's, uh, it's not yet a, a externally financed uh, trend as we see it. And I, I think just important uh, because we are now so much focusing on investment and it sounds like it's so far out there, but obviously there are a lot of things which players can do today to support nearshoring. And the, from our experience, companies are not leveraging the current uh, opportunities in terms of um, dual sourcing or postponement strategies in the supply chain. So really, uh, in the product development process, working more from a more strategic perspective and um, keeping then committing to the grayish fabrics or generic yarns and keeping some of the decisions later. What we see is at the moment more an, a trial to overall shorten all of the decisions and only the best practices are really managing to play on with this postponement strategies. So Saskia, I, I want to go back uh, to earlier in our conversation. You know, Hendrik brought up you know, the tier one, tier two uh, factories. And, you know, one of the advantages, obviously, of being in Asia or spe specifically China is it's so vertically integrated there, right? But as, as we look to diversify our supply chains, whether it's nearshoring or it's going to Mexico or Turkey or any, anywhere across the world, um, one of the biggest challenges in the current model is the inputs. And how could companies avoid, you know, if we're talking about speed being the new currency, how could companies avoid having timelines disrupted while we wait for these raw materials that will still have to come from all over the globe? Thanks for picking up the topic again, because this is exactly the topic I wanted to bring up. It's really, like I say, uh, there's, there's the shorter term to solution to really uh, think about your supply chain in a more from a more a structured perspective. So really, when do you... When is the decision really needed? So what decisions can you postpone? So in, in therefore really thinking around uh, the importing grayish fabrics or importing generic fabrics, that's really all very short term. Even so, I think when you look at uh, many players out there, um, obviously this is supported also from a more um, digitally enhanced, let's say, uh, management of your <laughs> supply chain. So it's it's the old kind of uh, more spontaneous management by excellent email is, is not working, but that's really goes into process management and efficiency improvement. And this is what many players at the moment are working on. Um, in the longer term, like Hendrik said, it's, it is building capacity. And... Uh, you know, we see that in some newer markets, which are now like 
Ethiopia world or the whole industry says, okay, we need to develop these clusters, we need to develop the vertical in this, uh, the sectors. So uh, this is really more the longer term solution uh, to gain from speed and flexibility, um, but also to implement solutions which give you the sustainability advantage. What's supporting that is also um, digital manufacturing, new manufacturing uh, technologies, like for example, uh, direct spin knitting, a more kind of standardization in fabrics um, production, um, the collaboration we mentioned. So I think that's really all very important factors to develop and build the capacity in the long term. So what I'm gathering by this, this conversation, guys, is that nearshoring won't be the answer for every product category. So by augmenting your current production with local options, what we're doing is basically complicating the supply chain even more. What is your recommendation to apparel executives on how to make smart decisions about where and how to make their goods as they are looking to you know, change and diversify their supply base? I would I would start off by by separating out a bit. Um, complexity is is certainly a, a negatively used word in the in the apparel industry, um, but I, I think here we need to differentiate a bit between bad and good complexity. I think there is good complexity arising by the those choices uh, that you are mentioning, and embracing that good complexity and getting ready for it is is what it's all about. And that, what, what does that mean? That means, in my view, understanding the true end-to-end -end impact on, on product economics, including margin of your door, different sourcing types and, and routes. Um, and not only understanding that in an Excel or on a PowerPoint, but actually trying it out. So if we had um, shorter lead times, um, just kind of reliably on certain ranges of our basics or more fashionable products, can we actually show that uh, we can we can improve margins and reduce markdowns by increasing full price sell through? And only one, once I do that and I have understood the the real effect of that, um, how do I then build models that are based on that analytical understanding of what the economics of each mode are? What is my control tower type of approach where I can choose and pick those sourcing modes much more flexibly, much more, uh, with much more agility, like a postponement, postponement like Saskia described, and what are my capabilities, both in terms of digital controlling that, uh, analytics behind that, as well as people um, to 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 drive that. We call that smart sourcing, um, and and building that muscle of of smart sourcing. Uh, and lastly, I think the, the whole piece. Automation is such a, a vital enabler in all of this. What's my strategy to automation? Is it do I want to build captive um, capabilities myself, or do I strive for very close partnerships that develop an IP that can help me build a competitive advantage in this? So, in in summary, what uh, we advise uh, our executives these days how to kind of uh, address the perfect storm that we discussed initially is. First and foremost, getting the analytical understanding of, of the impact of sourcing modes on their product types. Secondly, building that what we call smart sourcing muscle of using those sourcing modes much more flexibly um, and, and in parallel. Uh, thirdly, having a strategy how to have access to um, automation technology that will not have them not following but uh, leading in the industry. 
as the three key key areas to focus on. And the one to add more forward-looking is how will this help uh, your company be a sustainability leader and getting ready for sustainability to be something that's not any more nice to have, but a real differentiating factor in the industry? And how can you use your sourcing setup to, uh, to, to take advantage of that and make that a competitive advantage rather than something, again, that you will, would be lagging behind? I want to thank you both for joining us today. We look forward to having you at the summit in New York on October 17th. And if you're listening to this podcast and are new to Sourcing Journal, be sure to sign up for our newsletters at sourcingjournal.com so you can learn more about these topics and be among the first to know about new podcasts, webinars, and reports. And you'll also find a link at the top of the screen to more information about the summit in October.